Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your host, Ginger, man who is always tilting at windmills, Mackenzie. <laughs> and I'm joined today by the Sancho to my Quixote, the John Adams of Canadian theater, the B. Arthur of Canada, Autumn Smith. Uh, I love that you call me Sancho and uh, not anything else. That's hilarious. Hello, Mackenzie Horner. Hello, 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 hello. And I want to add that we are joined by a very special guest today. It is my friend, the amazing Canadian actress, Miss Janet Martin. Hello, Janet. Hi, guys. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here chatting with you about one of hello. my favorite shows. <laughs> hello, hello. Yeah. So quick little bit about you, Janet, for our wonderful listeners. You're a longtime 30-year veteran of the Canadian stage. People have probably seen you in many different roles that you've tackled over the years. Like you've been able to be part of the original Cats production. As Syllabub, you performed in Phantom of the Opera for seven years in, uh, in Toronto. You also were in the Toronto productions of Les Mis in Sound of Music. Uh, you also, on top of that, you also went to Broadway with uh, Brian McDonald's production of The Mikado. Uh, you then also were able to play Julie Jordan in Carousel, Annie and Annie Get Your Gun, Christine in The Phantom, Cosette in Les Mis, Grizabella in Cats, oh, Mary Magdalene. Oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> blushing. I just happen to be very lucky. I think, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've had a, a really, really great career in musical theater. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that was just timing, being in the mm -hmm. right place at the right time and coming mm -hmm. out of theater school at a time when mega musicals were just becoming a thing in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah, you've tackled some really fantastic roles, which perfectly sets you up for many returns on this podcast. Because anytime oh. you get to one of these like awesome roles. But you've, like, done, you've done a lot of the uh, a lot of the shows I've been in and I've been enjoying listening to them so much. Aw, yeah. thank you. Really yeah. it brought back it's brought back brought brought back my love of musical theater, and that is honest to God truth. <sighs> I'm hearing that, songs, I'm going, oh, I remember that, I remember that, and oh, yes, and, and I haven't listened to musicals in so long, and I'm truly enjoying every second of what you guys are doing. Aww, thank thank you. you, thank you, and I mean, also the really cool thing about you is that just a little under five years ago, you started your own company, the Shaggy Pup Productions, and you have launched this really kind of big mega cult musical Metapause the musical that's like toured across Canada, like selling out everywhere. Like, there's so many people I know who who who, who have like gone and done, um, um, like seen Metapause the musical. Like, it's been this thing of people just keep talking about it. So, like, yeah, it's a little like, bit crazy, a little bit culty, like you say. And mm -hmm. uh, we're we're still we're hoping after the pandemic we have a humongous cross country tour planned again. We had to cancel last year's though. Yeah, I think March 14th mm -hmm. or something. Ski. Yeah. But um, cross fingers, uh, we'll all get back to business soon. Okay. So, I mean, like, we have, I mean, like, so this is our wonderful panel. And, Autumn, what is the musical we're talking about? Because we kind of hit the lead a little bit of what we were doing. Yes. So, doing. what is it? I am I, Don Quixote, the man of La Mancha. That's right. I am I, Don Quixote. 
Yes. Yes. I was going to sing it. And I'm like, oh, I'm gross. I won't do that. Oh, come on. You could have done the Sancho part. I could have done the Kyoto. We're good on the I'm whole holding game. myself for Sancho, obviously, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Love it. But yeah, we're doing Man of La Mancha, one of the iconic pieces of musical theater uh, that came about. Uh, and I chose this one. This was not an autumn pick. Nope. Nope. Autumn, uh, this is this kind of ties back to Autumn and I's experience with Camelot. Autumn is not one of the idealists of the world. Who, no. Um, so idealistic musicals like these don't always make Autumn's list. This was a Mac choice through and through. No, look, look, I am, I'm an idealist myself, but mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this, but... <laughs> But yeah, ultimately, this was a Mac pick, and <laughs> I chose it for a few reasons. Well, mainly the first being that, like, I grew up on this musical. This was this was one of the iconic the, the iconic song, "Possible Dream." I am uh, I um, uh, Man of La Mancha, the title song. Those were two songs I grew up with. We're gonna get into how I grew up with them, but they're songs that have transcended the show, and I grew up with them playing throughout my young life, and then. I've also always identified with the characters that even though like they're far removed from my reality, the characters of Quixote, Sancho, Aldonza, uh, they've all kind of, I, 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 I've identified with them quite a bit. Quixote is a dream role, even though I probably end up being cast as a Sancho. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a thing. And then I chose it because like Camelot, I love how this musical tackles the concept of idealism versus realism. This is a conflict that I, keep returning to so for me i was like gotta honor those musicals that confront this 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 concept uh and it's great it's, it's a beautiful musical that never fails to recharge my batteries and i am feeling like i can't reach the impossible the, the, the impossible dream it gives me I, the ending will never cease to not make me cry it is like oh it, i I keep on watching the Peter O'Toole movie last night as I was making my notes. Not a great movie, but the ending still gave me shivers down the spine when, when, when you get to Sophia Loren performing the final reprise as Peter O'Toole walks up the steps. It is, it, it's still, it, it is, it, the fact that this musical has such a beautiful, iconic ending that it just, it just hits you. In there. It's, it's like King Arthur doing the run boy run at the end of Camelot that, never ceases to also make me cry there are a few musicals that hit that moment every time and no matter who it is this is a show that will never cease to not make me cry and give me the shivers at the end because this is just such an epic beautiful story about one man fighting for idealism in a world that is very much against him uh so it's great i love it i truly love it so in a meta kind of way in a meta kind of way yeah yeah, yeah, th- yeah. This was, yeah, we're, we're, we'll get into the concept of how that came to be of why this became a meta show. But it was a thing. It was a thing. But Janet, why don't you tell us how you kind of came to be on this episode? Because I reached out to you, but it, but it was for a really special reason. Oh, because I played Aldonza, you mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, yes. That's why. Uh, oh, <laughs> I was in the production of Man of La Mancha. Mm-hmm. About mm-hmm. How many years ago, Matt? Oh my god. That was summer 2012 before I went to York. So it was a little while ago. A little while ago. Almost a decade ago now. Wow. 
<laughs> I guess I'm that old. Um, yeah, and uh, I think I was uh, I was a little old for that, not really old for that role because she sometimes played older. But um, yeah, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. production. I wish we could have done it longer. We were mm-hmm. we were rehearsal for how not very long. Two weeks. Couple of weeks. Yeah, like we started. Like, like I finished school and we went into rehearsal like a week after the end of June, maybe like we were like Canada Day and then like a few days. Yeah. 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 Because I was away up at a friend's cottage on Canada and I spent the whole weekend locked in my room practicing my Shakespeare line so I could be ready for the first day of rehearsal. And so we came in like the Thursday after Canada Day. And you, so I think, I think it's important yeah. to say that we were doing two shows in rep. We were. Right. Mm-hmm. We were doing Mary Wives of Windsor yeah. and Man of La Mancha in Correct. Rep. Yeah. So that's that's where that comes in. Yeah. Two big shows. It was a bit crazy, honestly. Mm-hmm. That's why I really wish uh, I could do it again or have, mm-hmm. I had more time. We were basically learning the words and learning the music and doing it. We didn't have a lot of exploration time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a wild summer. Like, but the minute I knew we were doing Middle Mantra, I was like, I gotta get Janet in on this because as someone who's actually done the score and has sung this piece and has played one of the iconic literary roles of Aldonza, it was like who like who better to get for this for like for for this um uh podcast? Because I mean yeah. you, you're gonna you're gonna be able to give us so much more inside knowledge that probably not even I know because uh, I've I've read the sheet music, but I've never performed this show. But you've been in this. Uh, you've actually gone to La Mancha and have done this piece. So you're gonna been have a lot La of Mancha. yeah. You've exactly. been a resident of La Mancha. I've been to La Mancha. Exactly. Yes. So, but yeah, that's kind of why you're here, and I'm so happy you are. But like for anybody who doesn't know what Man of La Mancha is about, I'll give a I'll give a, a summary as best I can of this epic and also convoluted musical. So, yeah, okay. So uh, this musical set against the backdrop of the Spanish Inquisition and we open Man of La Mancha with uh, failed author, soldier, actor, tax collector, Miguel de Cervantes being put in prison after foreclosing on a monastery uh, while in the prison kind of common area. Uh, Cervantes is attacked by his, his fellow prisoners and his Belongings, including his manuscript, are taken from him in a scuffle. And to get them back, um, Cervantes puts, is put on trial by his fellow prisoners uh, with the cynical prisoner known as the Duke taking on the lead uh, prosecution role. Uh, so, and he charges Cervantes with being an idealist and a bad poet. Cervantes pleads guilty, but in pleading guilty, he, 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 he is allowed to uh, offer up a defense of this charge. So that's where he comes up with the concept of I'm going to tell the story of this man named Alonso Quijana uh, and kind of tells the story of this play within a play. Um, and so thus he sets off to tell the story of, as we said, Alonso Quijana, who has uh, kind of been reading books on chivalry and he, uh, he thought a lot uh, about injustice in the world, has kind of gone a little bit mad and has become kind of a knight errant. I shall impersonate a man. Come. Enter into my imagination and see him. His name, Alonzo Quijana, a country squire no longer young, bony, hollow-faced, eyes that burn with the fire of inner vision. 
Being retired, he has much time for books. He studies them from morn to night and often through the night as well. And all he reads oppresses him, fills him with indignation at man's murderous ways toward man. He broods and broods and broods. And finally, from so much brooding, his brains dry up. He lays down the melancholy burden of sanity and conceives the strangest project ever imagined to become a knight-errant and sally forth into the world to right all wrongs. No longer shall he be plain Alonzo Quijana, but a dauntless knight known as Don Quixote de la Mancha! And so uh, Quijana renames himself Don Quixote de la Mancha, and he goes off an adventure with his squire uh, named uh, Sancho Panza. And so the two of them set off. Uh, and uh, the first bit of their travels, uh, Quixote picks a battle with a windmill because uh, he thinks it's a four-armed giant. That doesn't go well. Uh, uh, he loses the battle to the windmill. Um, and he decides it's because uh, he is not a true knight. He has not been dubbed a knight. Ergo, that is why he did not win the battle against the four-armed giant, aka the windmill. Uh, he then... Uh, travels to a rundown inn that he mistakes as a castle. Uh, and at this point, this is when Cervantes starts getting everybody else involved. He has a bunch of the male prisoners become muleteers. He gets the, the lead prisoner, the governor, to become the innkeeper. He also has the innkeeper's wife uh, cast as one, by one of the female prisoners. And he also casts another female prisoner as the serving wench slash part-time prostitute, Aldonza. Uh, at that point, Cervantes resumes the tale with all these new characters. He then, his character, Quixote, meets Eldonza and declares that she is his lady, Dulcinea. And he, is swear, and he swears to her eternal loyalty. Eldonza, though, because she has suffered a lot of mistreatment in life, uh, and she is put off by this. She's annoyed by this, by this act of kindness and kind of turns him away for it. And she gets even further angry because the muleteers start taunting her uh, with, 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 uh, with the name Dulcinea. <laughs> Dulcinea! Again, she's a very, she, she's somebody who's very hurt and cold-hearted because of this experience in life. Um, once again, Cervantes breaks the story because he's got to introduce more characters. He, now he now, now he introduces uh, the character of his niece, Antonia. He also introduces his character of the housekeeper, the local priest, and Antonia's fiance, uh, played by the cynical Duke uh, prisoner, Doctor Sanso Carrasco. And so the story then resumes again. And now we're back with the priest and he's hearing the housekeeper and niece lament saying there's oh so worried about him. Uh, even though in reality, they're not all that worried. They're more worried about the public embarrassment that he's going to cause them. Um, uh, doc, uh, Dr. Carrasco also shows up to the priest 
saying he is worried about having a madman that um, in, in the family. Uh, so the priest then challenges him saying, well, you're a doctor, so why don't you go cure him? So off the priest and Dr. Carrasco ride to go cure uh, Alonso Quijana of, 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 of his imagination of Don Quixote. Get ready, Padre. We shall go after him. But as we go, but as we go, there is one thing that I want the world to know. I feel with pain that once again, we now will hear a very often heard to the inn, Sancho's being sent to deliver a missive to Aldonza, who begrudgingly listens to it, and uh, Quixote has requested a missive from her, and she gives it, and she gives him a dirty dish rag, which he lovingly takes, much to everybody else's grimace. Um, at that point, uh, Aldonza questions uh, Sancho, saying, why do you like him? Or, or like, why do you follow him? And he uh, he has no real answer. He just says, I really like him. I like this guy, ergo, I follow him. Very simple concept. That leaves Aldonza to ponder. And while she ponders in the courtyard, the muleteers start taunting her again. And, she, and Pedro, the lead muleteer, makes uh, business arrangements with her for later that night. Mm -hmm. At that point, the priest and Dr. Carrasco show up at this inn. They try and reason with Quixote. Quixote just kind of blows them off, being like, screw you. Uh, and they're kind of left being like, okay, all right, we got it. We got to do some more work on this. Uh, and the priest is left to, to kind of go, is it really that bad that he's doing this? Like he's not hurting anyone yet. Um, <laughs> Interesting like, that the priest says that. Right. Well, once again, it's to each his Dulcinea, like to each his own bit of madness, which we'll get into that song. Um, at that point, a barber shows up wearing a uh, like a brass shaving basin on his head, which Quixote mistakes as a golden helmet of Mambrino. So he takes the golden helmet of Mambrino from this poor barber uh, and wears the helmet. At that point, he then decides he's going to sit vigil for the night. And then the morning, the innkeeper is going to dub him a knight. While he's sitting vigil, Aldonza encounters him, confronts him, and Quixote sings the very iconic song, the impossible dreamer explains about his quest and why he is doing what he does. To dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go to right the unrightable wrong to love pure and chaste from afar to try when your arms are too weary to reach the unreachable star at that point, Pedro shows up, 
very angry that Aldonza's kept him waiting. He's, he he uh, strikes Aldonza. At that point, Quixote, to defend her honor, engages in a battle, which surprisingly he wins. And he beats up all the muleteers thanks to the help of Sancho and Aldonza. And they give and get and they kick the asses of, 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 of the muleteers. Um, and it's after this that the innkeeper says, You can't stay here anymore. You can't be beating up my like fellow patrons. So he says, Leave in the morning. Kyoto's like, Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll leave. No problem. But before I leave, you got to dub me a knight. So he is dubbed the Knight of the Woeful Countenant. Hail, Knight of the Woeful Countenance, Knight of the Woeful Countenance. Wherever you go, people will know of the glorious deeds of the Knight of the Woeful Countenance. Farewell and good cheer, oh my brave cavalier, fight onward in glorious strife. I swear when you're gone, I'll remember you well for all of the rest of my life. Which is a great scene. It's a, it's a very heartfelt scene that the innkeeper starts to buy into Quixote's imagination and buys into the concept of dubbing him a knight and kind of enjoys it. So he's dubbed a knight. Everybody's happy. Uh, however, Quixote was wounded in battle, has a head wound. Uh, and he tries to go attend to the muleteers, showing a chivalrous act, but he can't. He has to go lie down. And Aldonza says, don't worry. I'll go show the muleteers some kindness and I'll go tend to their wounds. Not a great uh, move uh, because when she goes to tend to their, to, to, to their wounds, the uh, muleteers um, attack her. They kidnap her and they rape her. Very sad. That moment of the show. Uh, it, and she's kind of t- let, uh, uh, taken away. And at the same time, Quixote leaves the inn. He goes back on the road. He's accosted by a group of Moorish people, as they, as they described. It's, 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 this is the one sequence of the musical that hasn't really aged well. Um, we'll get into that. Um, <clears throat> but ultimately, he is um, uh, he has all his possessions, including his horse and donkey, stolen from him by this group of Moorish travelers so he's forced to go back to the inn much to the innkeeper's chagrin and while he's at the inn again uh aldonza returns bruised beaten uh upset at what's happened to her and to Quixote swears to avenge her but she tells him to like screw off basically saying like you're worse than them like you like you showed me the sky, like you misled me. You gave me hope in a world that has never had hoped in the first place. So she ultimately kind of tosses Quixote away. She she turns she turns her back on him again. Uh, and, at the, and it's at that point, um, Doctor Carrasco returns. This time dressed as Don Quixote's mortal enemy, mortal enemy, the Enchanter, and he has a shield of mirrors which basically he holds up to Quixote and forces him in combat to confront who he really is. And that breaks Quixote uh, and re- returns him to being uh, Alonso Quijana. And it's at that point in the story that uh, the action of, of, of the tale is broken up because a prisoner is being led off to the Inquisition, uh, which, and there's a great moral debate that happens between the, the Duke prisoner and, and Quixote about, about life as you see it. I have lived almost 50 years and I have seen life as it is. 
pain, misery, hunger, cruelty beyond belief. I have heard the singing from taverns and the moans from bundles of filth on the streets. I have been a soldier and seen my comrades fall in battle or die more slowly under the lash in Africa. I have held them in my arms at the final moment. These were men who saw life as it is, yet they died despairingly. No glory, no gallant last words, only their eyes filled with confusion, whimpering the question, why? I do not think they ask why they were dying, but why they had lived. And uh, it's at that point, Quixote reveals that I really don't have an end to this piece. The prisoners are like, what the hell? Like you've got us buying into your story and like now you're ending it here. Like you got to end the story. So Quixote decides, okay, or, or sorry, Cervantes decides, all right, I'll make up the ending. I'll improvise. So we then cut back into the story. Now, uh, Quijana is now back at home. He's kind of gone comatose. Uh, Sancho shows up to try and wake him up a bit. By the end of his rambling, he does. And it's at that point, Aldonza sh- forces her way into to the house and goes to his bedside. And at first, uh, Kihana doesn't recognize her, but she reminds him of who she is. She says, I am Eldon, or I, I, am, I, I am your Dulcinea. And she sings the impossible dream to him. And that ultimately wakes him up. And he, I know, damn it, I'm already starting to get a little weepy-eyed here. Uh, wakes him up, he, he comes back. He, he, uh, but ultimately his heart just gives out and he has a heart attack, unfortunately. Uh, just as he's about to go off on more adventures with, 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 with his squire and his lady by his side. And he dies. And it's at that point that um, uh, Cervantes is then called up by the Spanish Inquisition to go stand trial. And so he's being led off to it. And then ultimately, as he's leaving, the prisoner who's been playing Aldonza stands up. And as he's walking up the stairs, she then begins to sing The Impossible Dream. Of the prisoners all join in showing that this one man who's probably going to go off to be burned at the stake did make a difference he did give them hope in a very in a hopeless prison so and that's the story of manila mancha in a nutshell a big nutshell a big <laughs> nutshell that had a lot going on walnuts <laughs> yeah yeah and that's the end of the episode thanks everybody for tuning in see you all next week that was great uh, that was great yeah. but yeah that is the story of manila mancha so, Autumn, why don't you tell us 
Who's our creative team? Because this is a new group that we are tackling today. Okay. Well, my 10 pages of notes are going to be truncated. <laughs> so, this is not a 10, 10 part episode. Um, so uh, as, as um, Mac has mentioned, it is set in this container around Cervantes and the Spanish mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. So um, let's talk a little bit about Miguel de Cervantes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 1547, Spanish, was a writer widely regarded as the greatest writer in the Spanish language and one of the world's preeminent novelists. Hmm. Uh, He is best known, obviously, for his novel, Don Quixote, Hmm. uh, a work often cited as both the first modern novel and one of the pinnacles of literature. And Jen has Uh, actually gone and read the book before coming on this episode so she actually read the abridged version so who did yeah it did me well done what yep. that is amazing yep. so so tell us janet about no <laughs> <laughs> um so he um uh, spain was his uh, stomping ground but mm-hmm. uh, not only was he a writer he was a soldier he was a tax collector he was a purchasing agent for the mm-hmm. navy Mm-hmm. Um, he was all the things. I love mm-hmm. it. He was a jack of all trades, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is is interesting because you then you go into the book writer of Wasserman, mm-hmm. who uh, Dale Wasserman was the book writer of the musical Men of La Mancha, mm-hmm. and he was born of uh, Russian immigrants, but uh, was orphaned at the age of nine. Mm-hmm. So. Um, he lived in a state orphanage with his older brother and then he hit the rails. So you can see where the lives of, of Cervantes, Quixote mm-hmm. and Wasserman intersect. I found that really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, he called himself a, uh, I'm a self-educated hobo. <laughs> now that is not a term we use anymore, but it's, he rode the rails, like literally did this. Uh, until at the age of 19, he started in the theater. Um, he uh, started, um, hold on one second. He's, uh, he started with musical impresario Sol Horick as a stage manager and lighting designer for the Catherine Dunham Company, uh, where he claimed to invented lighting patterns uh, imitated later in other dance companies. Who knew? All these people who are jack of all trades, I love them because they Mm -hmm. know the craft inside out and backwards, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He produced and directed after that in in London and Paris. Um, In the middle of directing a Broadway musical, which he would not note, he said uh, that he couldn't possibly write worse stuff than the stuff he was directing. So he's like, I'm going to go write things. You pull the Cervantes. I I do that sometimes. I'm like, I think I'll just write this myself. <laughs> Fine, whatever. Um, so he did do that. Um, he uh, wrote an anthology, a television anthology, which presented his first play, Alicia and the Long Knives, and it received an Emmy. Hmm. Um, and then... Uh, it had originally been shown in 1954 on Craft Television mm-hmm. Theater, uh, another anthology. Um, and then Wasserman wrote some 30 more television dramas before 
um, penning Man of La Mancha. And it was a straight play in its first incarnation. It was a it was a straight play, which does not surprise me in the least, because to me, this is one of those musicals that is a play with music. I don't I don't look at it and go, oh, this is the a musical. It is a play with music, a little bit like Carousel in a way mm-hmm. Fiddler. yeah 1776 like, yeah like it has this rich rich uh story um mm-hmm. um that mm-hmm. is the main crux mm-hmm. of it right that's mm-hmm. why we mentioned the book first in this one we do um and uh people uh he said people erroneously called it an adaptation of don quixote and he said, it is not. It is a completely original work that uses scenes from Don Quixote to illuminate Miguel de Cervantes' life. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Quixote's was Cervantes' Man of La Mancha, and it was Cervantes himself who was Dale Wasserman's Man of La Mancha. I have that same quote. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Um, Dale Wasserman was a founding member and trustee of the Eugene O'Neill Theater. Um, he was also the artistic director of the Midwest Playwrights Laboratory, which Mm -hmm. encompasses 12 states in its program and awards fellowships and production to 10 playwrights yearly. That's amazing. Like, think Mm -hmm. about this kid was an orphan. Mm -hmm. He was an orphan. And look what happened. Like, look what he became. Mm -hmm. He also adapted the novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. This is his other major Mm -hmm. work. And he turned that into play great play um, so uh let me see what else i can say about him um he was very reclusive um but at the time of his death he died in 2008 of heart failure uh at the time of his death it said dale wasterman had arguably some fine and thought-provoking work ready to produce players in the game was set in 1316 prague poses um the question is fiery, incorruptible zealotry necessarily to be preferred to benign corruption? What? Are you kidding me? This was a very smart person who had no formal education. That is, mm-hmm. it astounds me how people who do not, you know, enter into academia can become these amazing, like they're amazing minds. And I actually think it's almost preferable. (laughs) It's not jaded by other people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. You're choosing what you want to see in the world. So it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, (laughs) um, yeah, I, I think, I think it's really uh, amazing. And, you know, uh, reading, reading and watching La Mancha, it's kind of the fool. We go back to the idea of the fool, which we talked about a little bit, and that outside yes. perspective, mm-hmm. and how the fool is the smartest person mm-hmm. in the play yep. all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Because they don't, they're not invested in a in um, in a way Politics that other people or, are, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They always have that outside view, and I think Dale Wasserman was in a way, his own Don Quixote. He was mm-hmm. a fool. So um, fascinating. I, I I would like to read a biography on this person because mm. very cool. Then the music was written by Mitch Lee. 
Mitch Lee was born in Brooklyn. He graduated from Yale with a Bachelor of Music and then in um, 1952 received his Master of Music under Paul Hindmith. Uh, he began his work as a jazz musician, writing commercials for radio and television. Uh, in 1955, he um, composed the little-known LP recording of Gene Shepard into the Unknown with jazz music. He produced that. He then moved on to work with uh, Joe Darian and Dale Wasserman on mm-hmm. Man of La Mancha. Mm-hmm. Um, he followed that with Chu Chem, which did not run very long. <laughs> And then, you know, he wrote he wrote some other little things, but his other massive thing of note was he directed the 1985 revival of The King and I, starring Yul Brenner. Mm. And it was Yul Brenner's final kick at the uh, King of Siam. Uh, he played it a long time. He played it a long time. And he played it so, ah, uh, so good. It's so good. Um, yes. Uh, he also wrote... The musical Halloween, um, but it did not reach Broadway. I don't know what that musical is about. I was about, to say, is that like a Michael Myers adaptation? It, I don't know. It did star Barbara Cook, however, and oh. Ferreira, um, but still didn't get to Broadway. So interesting. Oh. Mm. Um, he, uh, in 1977, uh, he and others at Yale uh, School of Music established the Keith Wilson Scholarship to be awarded to an outstanding major in a wind instrument. So, cool. yeah, that's Good neat. I love people that leave legacies like that. He died in 2014 from natural causes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the lyricist, Joe Darian. Uh, I couldn't find much on this human being. I don't know why. He obviously wrote the lyrics to this impossible mm-hmm. dream, obviously. Um but was an American musical theater lyricist, most famous for Man of La Mancha. Born yeah. in New York and died in New Hampshire. That is yeah. all I could find. The director was Albert Marr. I have pages and pages on Albert, but I'm going to truncate it. He <laughs> um, was born Albert Elliot Mashinsky. Uh, received a bachelor's from Oberlin uh, College. Served in the Navy and studied law at Harvard. Again, a jack of all trades. And while he was at Harvard, he joined a drama group, as one is wont to do. Mm-hmm. Um, then he made his Broadway debut as an actor and associate director of the 1950 revival of John Van Brew's uh, restoration comedy, The Relapse. He directed a production of Miss Alliance. He also directed Kismet on Broadway in 1954, which received, this is fun, the Donaldson Award which was the precursor to the the Tony. Yes. And then he went on um, to do more. Shaw, he did St. Joan, starring Siobhan McKenna, Irish legend. He also did uh, Jean Anou's play, Time Remembered, uh, which starred Helen Hayes, Susan Strasberg, Richard Burton, and Sig Arno. Just a few, uh, just a few famous people. Just a few, in there. Just a few. like he he directed Jerry Herman's first Broadway musical, Milk and Honey. That classic. That'll be right up there in season twenty-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he went on to do Man of La Mancha. So yeah, prolific. Like it, yeah. it's it's prolific. Mm-hmm. Um, he became the first artistic director for the New York City Drama Company 
at City Center, uh, where he did Love, Slavers, Lost, Merchant of Venice, Miss Alliance. He keeps going back to Shaw, which I find very interesting. And then he died in 2012. There you go. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, so the choreographer, one more. Ready? Okay. Oh, goodness. All right, let's go. One more. Oh, sorry. Jack Cole. <laughs> Jack Cole was the choreographer. Uh, he made his professional dance debut with Dennis Sean uh, in New York City. He was uh, really interested in incorporating Asian influences in his work. He learned this uh, through his um, time at Denishon. So he he really used a lot of different cultural techniques in his body of work. And um, they call him, hold on, please. He invented the idiom of American show dancing known as theatrical jazz dance. This kind of dance was a launching point for the, the choreographers that we know prolifically. Mm -hmm. Burden, Bob Fosse, Jerome Robbins, Michael Bennett, Toby Toon, Alvin mm -hmm. Ailey. So it was kind of, he was, he was the pioneer of this, which I think Interesting. is exciting. Um, he, he, he choreographed so many things, but uh, Men of La Mancha, um, uh, Kismet, a funny thing happened on the way to the form mm. um then his like his film work is huge the merry widow he did gentleman first blondes there's no business like show business kismet designing women i was like what cole worked closely with marilyn monroe in particular influencing her iconic performance in diamonds are a girl's best friend ah, well there ah. you go what a like varied team! It's, it's a very yeah, like uh, it's yeah. a it's a weird collab team that is often forgotten. Like they like they like they didn't do much together after this. It was kind no, of like the one time of being really? together, but yet they created magic. So yeah, very very interesting. This one mm -hmm. thing, yeah, so, so intriguing mm -hmm. to me. Now, Janet, because you've actually read the book, what are your thoughts on the book Don Quixote? Like, did you find it easy read? Did you find it relatable? Like, like when you're reading it, did you have like, oh, there's a little bit of Mano La Mancha, like the musical, like, like there's where they picked up a little bit of that story. Like, did you see where Wasserman was kind of able to glean some of the, like some of the stuff from the book? Yeah, for sure. It was actually, because it was the abridged version, mm -hmm. it was nice and compact. And mm -hmm. I could, I could easily see where it came into the musical. Mm -hmm. Um, the big difference for me was the emphasis on chivalry mm -hmm. and knight errantry and all of that stuff mm -hmm. that when I was doing the production of Man of La Mancha, I, I was so focused on learning my lines <laughs> <laughs> and learning my songs that mm -hmm. I didn't spend a great deal of time in the background of mm -hmm. what it was really about. Mm -hmm. And it it was interesting to me that he was his madness came because of his reading countless books on chivalry, mm -hmm. and then it drove him to to his quest. Yeah, and uh, well, I just found that 
that that's really interesting and that it, it didn't strike me before mm-hmm yeah, no, I mean, that's right. Because I mean, I and I both have not read the book. So the minute, so the minute you told me I actually read, the, you actually read the book, I was like, yeah, I got to get you in it to like, give me some of the, the, the inside look of what this book is, because it is a very famous, well published, well read story. But it's one of these ones that has been on my classic reading list for yeah. decades now at this point, but I've never gotten a chance to read it. Well, I was so. ashamed that I hadn't actually mm-hmm. read it, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, who goes into the La Mancha and hasn't read the the book Talkies. from yeah. my student. You didn't have time. You didn't have time. I didn't have time, but yeah. honestly, so uh, mm-hmm. I had time now and I would recommend yeah. it. It was very mm-hmm. enjoyable. Okay. There we go. Oh, I love that. Uh, there we go. We'll start a, a, a um, before the downbeat book club where we will recommend a book to, for you to read. Autumn's like, Mac, don't give me more work, please. Oh, no. I mean, I love reading books. I just don't have time. Lone version of myself to do so. It's true. It's true. Okay. So why don't I dive into production history? Let's do this. So uh, first off, Man of La Mancha is considered by scholars to be the first concept musical uh, before Mm -hmm. Company because uh, this was the first musical that centered around an overarching metaphor or statement that was more important than the actual narrative. So that is why scholars have dubbed this the first concept musical. It's debatable. Some people could say it's company. Some people could say it's this. So Say that again. Why did they dub it that? They call it the first concept musical because it's centered around an overarching metaphor or statement that is more important than the actual narrative. So basically they're saying because the concept of idealism versus realism, like it's like the story, the thematicness of this piece is bigger than the actual narrative show. So I don't know. Labels for everything, don't we? I know. We'll label this, this. Ah, Sure. Why not? Uh, But yeah, I mean, the roots of this piece actually stem back from when Wasserman did a uh, teleplay of Man of La Mancha for CBS on the DuPont show of the month program and he wrote it and it was actually called i don quixote because uh the producers felt that the title man of la mancha was going to lose audiences because audiences did not know what la mancha was so they're like yeah we're changing that to i don quixote because that really tells you what this piece is um and it fun cool fact it starred lee j cobb as cervantes colleen dewhurst as aldanza and eli wallach as Sancho, and it was broadcast on November 9th, 1959, uh, and an estimated two, uh, uh, 20 million people watched it. It's uh, Marilla. It's Marilla. Colleen Dewhurst. It's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she played Aldonza. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there's only one copy, uh, like, like only one recorded copy of this uh, of this tele, of this teleplay, and it's Apparently housed at the New York Public Library at Lincoln Center under the Billy Rose Collection, but it is very hard to be able to watch because of its delicate condition. So, why do I? Okay, I have so many digital questions. Why they don't just make another copy? But apparently, 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 because of the way it was shot, and like the footage itself is very like the coloring of it, like it's a very delicate bit of film. So they 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 don't like touching it too much. Apparently. 
that's what I read about it. So it's like a piece of theater, ephemeral. I like yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after the tele the teleplay was done, it was then uh, they, they attempted to make it a musical uh, with Albert Marr uh, he- heading it. And he kind of went, this isn't working. So Washington, why don't you turn it into a musical? And Wasserman was like, okay, well, let's try it that way. So he brought on Mitch Lee uh, as the composer. And the original lyricist was actually poet W.H. Auden. Yes, I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Sorry, like mm-hmm. my favorite poet. Yes, well, he, well, he may be your favorite poet, but unfortunately his lyrics were not to the team's liking. No. They found them overly satirical, biting, and attacking the bourgeoisie audience uh, of the time. And they felt he was writing for a different show. How very odd of him. Yes, a more <laughs> cynical show. So he was removed and he was replaced by Joe uh, 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 Darren. And he, uh, he was of Shinbone Alley fame, which is why they went to him. And they were like, oh, you can do it. Um, so they brought him on. So this piece was envisioned to be done in small theaters. Uh, so the creative team staged it to have a minimal set and limited costumes and props. They wanted to match how in the novel Cervantes really provides uh, details and descriptions of the setting of Quixote, of Quixote's adventures. A lot of times the book leaves up to the imagination of the audience to fill in the gaps. So they wanted to match that. So they were very much like, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna go, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna go very Brechtian with this. We're gonna go very limited with like what we got. So, um, yeah, the creative team worked also worked to infuse real world concepts that the audience could identify with, particularly in the 1960s. So the one concept was the ideological battle between idealism and realism, as that was an ongoing battle that was happening in the 1960s, uh, both on the social and political fronts of, of society. So they wanted to bring that in. They also wanted to bring in the cultural belief uh, that everyone is responsible for making the world a better place than when we found it. So those are kind of the two big concepts they really wanted to bring in from the real world that audiences could identify. So they set out to do that. During the writing process, the team opted to have Man of La Mancha not be an actual musicalization of the book, Don Quixote, uh, but instead they wanted it to center around a few hours of the lives of Miguel de Cervantes, uh, who then uses Quixote as a storytelling device. This was mainly because Wasserman, uh, as the writer, really championed this concept. He felt that his Man of La Mancha is not Don Quixote, uh, he is Miguel de Cervantes. And also due to the large amount of characters in the book, which is clocks in at over 400 characters, you just went, we got to simplify this a bit. We got to get it a little bit easier. So that was his way of fixing that problem. And then ultimately he kind of went, as he was writing, he found that Cervantes and Quixote ultimately blended into one spirit of the creation and the creator. So that was something that he came to naturally in his writing process. Uh, he did still use a lot of his original teleplay of I, Don Quixote. So for example, the opening monologue that precedes the Impossible Dream song was written by Wasserman for the teleplay. And then he just kind of really cut and pasted it over into the musical. However, the musical does differ mainly in the framing device. As in the musical, Cervantes is brought out right into prison and then he proposes to tell the story of Don Quixote to their prisoners. In the teleplay, Cervantes describes Don Quixote and all kind of just morphs into the night. And there's a lot more of the adventures from the book that are in the teleplay. But they were like, we don't have time. So they cut a lot of the extra adventures and really whittled it down uh, in the writing process. 
Also unusual for the time when orchestrating this piece, there were no violins or other traditional string instruments, orchestral string instruments. The orchestra mainly featured a double bass and instead relied more on brass, woodwinds, percussion, and the score utilized flamenco guitars as the main stringed instrument. So it had a very different sound to what audiences were used to, which gave it a little more of that Spanish flair as people commented on. Um, it's musical... also using brass though as militaristic. Yes. Like there's that, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it shows up, yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, this musical was set to open uh, in 1964 at the Godspeed Opera House in Connecticut. However, uh, they originally had tapped Rex Harrison to star as Don Quixote or Miguel, Miguel de Cervantes. However, even though uh, Harrison had done a lot of, had done My Fair Lady already and, had, and, had, and he, had, he had talks on his way through that. He just felt that this role was way too heavy demand for him vocally. And so he very quickly lost his interest and kind of backed out of the project. Um, the other main person they were considering to fill the role was Michael Redgrave, the father of Vanessa Redgrave. Yes, and, uh, yeah. yeah. So he, all, but he didn't get it. It went to Richard Kiley instead. And so after 22 previews, the musical opened off Broadway at the Experimental Thrust Stage Theater uh, A.N.T. Washington Square Theater in Greenwich Village on November 22nd, 1965. Uh, with the cast, in, yeah, with the cast including Richard Kiley as Miguel de Cervantes slash Don Quixote, Irving Jacobson as Sancho, Ray Middleton as the governor slash innkeeper, Robert uh, Roundsville as the Padre, and Joan Denner as Aldonza slash Dulcinea. The venue was hailed by critics as a great venue for this production because it matched the creative team's concept of the minimalist production. The venue actually lacked classic Broadway house amenities such as a fly space, a proscenium arch, and a curtain. So they were like, your venue, fantastic. The show also received really good reviews right away from, from critics. Right away, like the New York Post called Man of La Mancha a triumph of, of, of creative imagination and stagecraft. London's Morning Telegraph said Man of La Mancha is what theater is for, why theater lives and endures. Rolling Stone wrote that Man of La Mancha has a heart that sings and a spirit that soars. So it was just lauded. It, everybody, there was no bad reviews. It was a really popular uh, show. The one really cool um, review I have is by Norman Nattel of the World Telegraph and Sun. And he wrote, to reach the impossible star, what a soaring aspiration for an indestructible dreamer and what a glorious summation for a bold and beautiful new musical. He went on to say that thus it all goes all evening realism aligned with romanticism and each sharpened by the other, which I thought was a really beautiful poetic review there of describing this piece. So, yeah. yeah. So fun fact, even though the uh, ANTA theater is 40 blocks away from Broadway and is more closer to off-Broadway uh, the production was still able to be considered for the 1966 Tony Awards because in contract law, the ANTA is, is categorized as a Broadway house because of seating capacity. Hmm. So that's why it was able to straddle both the experimental world of off-Broadway and the commercial world of Broadway. And it was nominated for seven Tony Awards uh, and it won five, including Best Musical, Best Lead Actor, Best Director, 
best uh, original score and best um, set design. That must have been one of the very first Tony Award ceremonies. 1966? No, 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 no. no. It, was, it was in the 50s because, or like, because West Side Story was nominated and Music Man won the Tony for best musical. And that, and, and that was 57. So we're, we're, we're like a decade or so into the Tony Awards because Oklahoma come no, out. No, that's in its infancy. Yeah. So it was early on in the process. Yeah. But it won the Tony for best musical following Richard Kiley's departure. Uh, Cervantes slash Don Quixote was played by such people as John Callum, the currently late great Hal Holbrook, mm. and Lloyd Bridges all came in to play. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Following, yeah. the, f- following the big wins at the Tony Awards, the show continued to run. Mm. Uh, and then in March 1968, it moved to a regular Broadway venue, the Martin Beck Theater. And then oddly, in March 1971, it moved to the Off-Broadway Theater, the Eden Theater, then it moved back to Broadway in May 1971 at the Mark uh, um, Hallinger Theater. Uh, and then it closed uh, a, um, at the end of 1971, and it ran a total of 2,328 performances. So a good, solid run. That's a good run. It, it, a good it, run. it absolutely was. Wow. Um, the first Spanish production was mounted in 1966 in Madrid, Spain. Um, and... Since that, uh, since the original run, it's gone on to have four Broadway revivals. In 1972, less than a year after the original production closed, it was revived with Richard Kiley coming back to play Cervantes again. That only ran for 140 performances. In 1977, Richard Kiley came back again for another revival. Uh, Then in 1992, the wonderful late great Raul Julia uh, came and did a revival of it with... uh, uh, Sheena Easton as Aldonza. That's awesome. Yeah, and that only ran for 108 performances. And at, towards the end of the run, uh, uh, Joan um, uh, Denner got, got brought back as, as, Aldon, as Aldonza. And then it got revived again in 2002 with Brian Stokes Mitchell playing Cervantes. And it starred Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastronio as Aldonza. Mastrantonio, who is yeah. in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Correct. Like, How do I know that name? Correct. And then I was like, is that, that can't be the same person. It is. It was. I was like, what? Yep, she was in it. And, uh, and then also the voice of Pumbaa, Ernie Sabella, starred as Sancho. Aww. And that ran for 304 performances. And Autumn, you'll like this. The late, great Marin Maisie came into this revival to play Aldonza as, as of July the 1st, 2003 for a limited run. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, she came in and did it for a very short time before the, before the revival closed. Yeah. I would love to have heard her singing that. Right? Uh, there, there are a few clips you can find on YouTube. I, I know I sent one to Autumn, Janet. I'll send one your way. With Brian Stokes Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Hello. Like, talk about, like, just... Bringing them when back together. When was this? 2002. This was so, after ragtime. So post ragtime. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> yeah. Now, notable Canadian connection is uh, Lancelot actor Robert Goulet played mm-hmm. Don Quixote in the 1997-1998 U.S. National Tour. Huh. Other big name that's done uh, this is Mandy Patinkin, starred in a studio recording of Man of La Mancha that was done in 1996. Mm. I, 
Yeah, it's an interesting mix. Um, no, well, no, no. He's got the tenor voice for it. It's it's, it's interesting. It's it, give it a listen. It's it's the yeah. the recording's conducted by Paul Gimignani, so it sounds really good at least. I'm sure it does. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's beautiful. Yeah, I don't know if this is his role. Well, I mean, I could see him as a Don Quixote more than no, I can see him as a Sancho. I can't. I can't. I, can't, I cannot see it. Mm. I don't know why. I just. Uh, I don't. Maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that. You have to give it a listen. Uh, and then another key connection was that in 2014, Manila Mancha was mounted in Stratford uh, at the Stratford Festival with Tom Rooney as Quixote. Steve Ross as Sancho and Robin Hutton as Aldonza. Hmm. And then, no, very notably, 1972, there was a film version that was done with Peter O'Toole, but his singing was dubbed by Simon Gilbert. You have uh, James uh, uh, Coco as uh, Sancho and the wonderful Oscar-winning actress Sophia Loren as Aldonza. And that production when they when they bought the rights in 1967 they pay, the studio paid 2.25 million dollars for the for the rights of this musical to adapt it to the film and it was the second most paid rights for any musical behind my fair lady where where warner brothers paid 5.5 million dollars for the rights of that musical i would just like to say that sophia loren is as radiant in real life as she is on film have you met Sophia Loren Autumn? I yeah, when I was working in London at the theaters, she came in and she was she came to see Vanessa Redgrave and her brother in a show. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, wow, you are as radiant as you are in the movies. So Love that. Astonishing. Astonishing. Mm-hmm. And she was older at that time too. Like she was mm-hmm. ten year ten? No, twenty years ago. Never mind. 20, yeah. Never mind. Yeah. But either way, she was radiant. So she got brought on. However, the film did not receive good reviews. It received a lot of negative uh, feedback. Some of that's attributed to the fact that you have O'Toole and Loren in, in the roles and they're not singers. The production also went through a number of directors and screenwriters. So uneven there. The film didn't earn back its $12 million budget. It fell uh, short only earning $11.5 million. It hasn't been until the last few years that it started to get some more positive uh, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it sits at 50%. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is production history. Yeah. So let's get into our first experiences with this. Janet, was, was, was when you first doing the show, was that when you first came to La Mancha or did you know the musical before going into La Mancha? I had seen uh, the movie with Sophia Loren and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, company back, back in the day, like Mm -hmm. many years ago, but I didn't remember too much about it. Mm -hmm. So honestly, uh, I'd heard that uh, it was a great show and this was a great part. And I thought, well, I'm going to try for it. And lo and behold, was, was given this gift and this challenge. And it really, truly Vocally is a major challenge of a role. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like Sophia Loren dropped all the keys when she did it. Like, I, 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 I remember when you did it. Like, you were high, high up there. Like, like it is a full-on, almost operatic soprano. Yeah, a lot of a lot of opera companies actually do this show, but for me, uh, I think the strength of some of the songs comes in the belting. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to do both, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, you have to be able to switch from this classical type voice mm-hmm. to the the grinding, belting mm-hmm. to get the passion of some of of some of uh, of the Aldonza song, anyway. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the challenge because for myself, when I do a role, if it's a soprano role, then that's what I'm working on. I'm working on my top notes and the, you know mm-hmm. the 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 sweetness of the whole thing and you just kind of get into the groove and then when you're playing a belting role it's a completely different ball game but to do them both in the same show in the same 90 minutes is like really difficult yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah i can i can't imagine uh opera singers doing the show a it has so much book in it right like there's Mm -hmm. so much there's so much um, spoken narrative that it just doesn't suit the opera um, way of working. Mm-hmm. But to to like master the 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 different sounds. Um, yeah, I, I personally find when sometimes when the, when the opera folks um, they want to be gentle, they go into the head voice when I would prefer not to. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm when I'm hearing it, I go, yeah, it sounds beautiful, but if you could just push your push your chest up a little mm-hmm. bit, it would it would hit you in the heart a little more. In my mm-hmm. yeah, there's something uh, visceral and raw in mm-hmm. it, and yeah. especially in the storytelling, like the the lyrics that Darian has provided, especially in Aldonza, it's like it's an excavation, right? Mm-hmm. It's like Ugh, this unearthing of mm-hmm. and struggle. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Autumn, how'd you come to this musical? I saw it when I was a wee lass at 12. I don't think I understood a bloody thing about it at that age in my very sheltered Oshawa environment. <laughs> Um, I was like, oh, this is a, this is a musical. Cool. Nice. Impossible dream. I mean, that, that song was, Mm -hmm. it, it plays in tandem with You'll Never Walk Alone, right? As inspirational Mm -hmm. thing that people play at weddings, graduations, Mm -hmm. funerals, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, anything celebratory. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, until now, I have not revisited this musical. But I'm like, I, I, I was funny. I was talking to my mom this morning. I said, "Oh yeah, we're doing Man of La Mancha," and she's like, "I've never seen that musical." I'm like, "Yes, you have. Here, who <laughs> I knew exactly who was in it mm-hmm. when I was twelve. I remember it vividly. Um, yeah, but I, I, I don't know much about it. I'd like to." I'd like to learn more because I, you know me, I'm interested in the fool's perspective and the. I could see this as a musical you would want to tackle. Yeah, like I'm, I'm intrigued. With it. I'm super intrigued by the way it was initially done and this idea that it gets built as it goes along because mm-hmm. he is telling a story to a crowd, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea that things come out of trunks and things get moved. I don't think it needs massive production values. Yeah. I think it just needs. Mm-hmm. really great storytelling and mm-hmm. anything can become anything. It's like, a, it's, it, it has the devised sensibility to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But good devising. Very Jim Littlewood. Yeah. It's what's that? 
I said I said very Joan Littlewood. It's very devising. Very Joan Littlewood. But Joan Littlewood devising is different than other yes. devising, right? Mm-hmm. It's about story and the like the importance mm-hmm. of story and using mm-hmm. things around you to tell story. Mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. I love the container in which this is set. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so yeah, I I I dig it. I'm glad we're doing it. Yay. Well, I mean, I came to this through one of my favorite sources as Autumn. We've talked about the, this source many a time. Oh, boy. But it was Wait, the Colmo. Let me guess. Yeah. Let me guess. Could it be <laughs> Cole Wilkinson's Stage Heroes? McKenzie? Correct. You got it. That's how I first came to this. It was through the cassette my dad bought me of Cole Wilkinson's Stage Heroes. These are the first two songs on, like, on the tape. That, that 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 you get to hear you get to hear these that song man of la mancha and impossible dream the, reach, the unreachable star this is my quest to follow that star no matter how hopeless no matter how far to fight for the right without question or pause to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause That my heart will lie peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest. So I grew up with Comus's very dramatic interpretation of that opening monologue in the in, in his Don Quixote de la Mancha, like that. Ha ha! He lays down the melancholy burden of sanity and conceives the strangest project ever imagined to become a knight errant and sally forth to roam the world in search of adventure to right all wrong to mount a crusade to raise up the weak and those in need no longer will he be plain Alonso Quijana but a dauntless knight known as Don Quixote de la Mancha hear me now Thou bleak and unbearable world, thou art base and debauched as can be. And the knight, with his banners all bravely unfurled, now hurls down his gauntlet to thee. Like a very, like I actually would love to have seen Cole Wilkinson do Don Quixote. I feel like he would have been a very interesting Don Quixote. I mean, he uh, could still do it. He could still, Colm could still do it. It's true. I mean, he's, I mean, I mean he, what he's only in like, what is like seventies at this point. I mean, I, I mean, if if like, Christopher Plummer can do Caesar at, at the age of seventy eight, Colm Wilkinson get out there. You can he, totally he, do this role. He he could. Yeah. He has, yeah, he has the heart to do it. He, he definitely has the heart to play good. He's such a good human being. I, yeah. yeah, I think this would actually be a great role for him right now. Yes, agreed. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 Autumn, let's do it. We'll, 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 we'll produce it. Let's do it. Janet, come back as Aldonza with, with Cum Wilkinson as, as Quixote. Let's go. We'll That's give you right. longer rehearsal time. We promise. Uh, get get in touch with uh, our friend Arcadi there. Sure. What? Actually, I could, actually, I could see Arcadi trying this. 
Why not? Um, like a plan. I'm here. <laughs> okay, done. Let's do it. Um, but yeah, so I knew that I knew I knew the, mainly I knew the, the two songs. And then it wasn't until I got to Theater by the Bay in that summer with Janet that I was able to then get the full story of Mina La Mancha. Hmm. So, and it was during this reading, I remember it vividly. It was at the table read and we got to the end and Lily brought you, the cast, Lily brought tears to my eyes and sent shivers down my spine in the table read because of just how good they all sounded singing around a table. And this the cast just this cast just continued to sound great all the way through the run. It was it was a beautiful sounding cast who just brought the score to life. And I can remember vividly tearing up at the end because they just they hit it at right, right off the top. So that was my experience was through that was through Colm Wilkinson and through Theater by the Bay. And I've always wanted to tackle this. This is on my directing bucket list of shows Mac wants to do or at least perform in at some point in his life. Because show. Right, I'll end up as a Sancho. That's fine. <laughs> I'll be Sancho to call Wilkinson's Sancho. I think I don't think I could like as a director. I don't think I could. Ca- you'd be perfect. You're so <laughs> wonderful and kind. And Aww. I think you'd be brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And now we will hear a quick word from our new partner, Stu, over at the Sounds of Broadway radio station. Take it away, Stu. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. Thanks so much, Stu, and now back to the show. Well, why don't we dive into our top three songs? Because okay. that's next on the docket. Janet, what's your number one song on your oh, list? Oh, come on. It's probably your number one song, too. And yours, too, Autumn. has to be. Is it The Impossible Dream? Uh, yeah, duh. And the world will be better for this That one man scorned and covered with scars Still strove with his last ounce of courage To reach the unreachable star Yeah, okay, perfect. Well, I did that plus also the final... um, Il Muto, so I combine the last reprise and that because because like Camelot, they go together.
they're 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 the matching they're the matching pair. You can't talk about one without the other. But yes, it also made my list too. And Autumn's list. So there we go. We're matching right off the. It top. made my list, but it's not my number one choice. Okay. Cool. All right. So Janet, well, so Janet, why was Impossible Dream your number one on your list? Like, what is it about this song that hits you? I well, besides the musicality of it, I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's iconic. Mm-hmm. But I guess what it stands for, the um, the, the quest, yeah, the journey mm-hmm. of of life, mm-hmm. and uh, never to give up, mm-hmm. and strive to be good at idealism. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. that's me. I'm a mush pot, and I'm I'm all for that. Love so, it. yeah, it, it hits me right where it hits. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Autumn. Why was it on your list? Maybe not your number one, but why did it make your list? What is it it's about the song for you? Two, but for the mm-hmm. same reasons. I mean, there is also something kind of um, realistic about it. Mm-hmm. To reach the unreachable star. Mm-hmm. And yet we keep striving. It's, it's you know, it is that journey of life. It's the, the, yes. the struggle that we face every single mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And, but... Uh, the fact that it's, you know, Quixote singing it and this, you know, Quixote for me embodies what I want in a, in an, a rehearsal room, that idea of play and spirit and curiosity and an unwillingness to settle for something that society dictates to him. Yeah. I, I, I don't find him mad. Um, I find him, um, I, yes, an idealist, but I also find him to be incredibly clever and kind and empathetic. Mm-hmm. The fact that you know he goes back to the um, the people that that um, he's he's fought and want to help heal their wounds. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, Mm-hmm. like it's he is goodness he is goodness mm-hmm. and and that to me is is why that song is so important mm-hmm. because it begs us to look at ourselves and how we can bring goodness mm-hmm. into back into the world yeah so um just a darn good tune as well it's, right it's it's a very catchy tune and like, i mean it, yeah it has a heartbeat that does yes yeah, it definitely, yeah, I love room with that iambic pentameter heartbeat. Yes, and I love that. I love that it has that drive and that, mm-hmm. almost that gallop, right, yes. to it. It's very, mm-hmm. um, in a way, militaristic, but mm-hmm. just, it's full of possibility, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll, 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 I'll definitely back up everything you all have said. And I mean, for me, I love it because also like it's it's inspirational. Like if you're ever feeling down, it, listeners, if you're ever feeling down, especially during COVID, and you're needing that boost to get back on the horse and get through another day of COVID, listen to this song. This is the song that picks you up and carries you forward. Because I mean, Autumn, you said I said the lyrics are so gorgeous and rich. Like even in the final, the finale, like the fact that the final verse of the song is to reach the unreachable star, though you know it's impossibly high, to live with your heart striving upward to a far unattainable sky. Like, lyrics right there, like that's what we all do in life. 
we're all supposed to be striving to be like that. Like, but not all of us do. Well, we're going to get into that there. Once again, it's that and like Camelot, this is a song that's always reaching. This song never hits a button until the very final verse of the song. But even then, if I remember correctly from reading the sheet music, the song doesn't end on a tonic note, which is usually like a nice culmination that sounds complete to our ears going back to the tonic or the dominant. It ends on it, it ends it ends on either like I think it's I think it's either like the, the third or the fourth. Like it ends on a different yeah, I it doesn't end on that perfect button. It ends on a nice open button where like you're still left with that. What well, happens next to these prisoners? Like, where does the story go? Like you're left in that you're left on that open button at the end. And even in the but even in the song earlier on, it's left open. Like it does like it, it's surprising how short the song is. The song is like it's like a minute and a half yeah and it's not grand like more modern revivals have made it a bit more they've added in an extra reprise of the verse to give the actor a a bit more of a chance to shine in the song but like the original version was like a minute and a half and it ends like like it ends very abruptly it's not the ending we don't see what happened we don't get a resolve for no No, we don't. Well, well I mean, yeah, we know I mean, what happens to Cervantes in real life. He moves yes. to Italy and whatever. But yeah, this uh, Cervantes, we presume he's probably going to go die in, in, in the Inquisition. Most likely. Yeah, left going. And that's good theater. And yeah. wanting mm-hmm. more. And yeah, makes us go and read Wikipedia yes. or yeah. Don Quixote. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Whatever. But I, I yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, number two. Janet, what was your number two? To each his dulcinea. To each his dulcinea that he alone can name. To each a secret hiding place where he can find the haunting face to light his secret flame. Oh, that ain't my other list. Oh, did it? Come it on. Does. Well, first you tell me why you like it, and then I'll respond with why it doesn't quite make my my list. Oh, um, well, for all the reasons you said earlier on, um, everyone deserves to. Oh, I, I'm just from from the thought process. Mm-hmm. Everyone deserves to to have that have a special dream and. Mm-hmm. Like uh, to each Dulcinea that he alone mm-hmm. can name, to mm-hmm. each a secret hiding place where he can find the haunting face mm-hmm. to light his secret flame. So mm-hmm. the, you are entitled to wish for that mm-hmm. and have have that hope. Mm-hmm. And I find the Padre when he sings it, if you mm-hmm. get a really awesome tenor like we had in our production. Yes, Phil. Yeah. Oh, Phil. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. He would, uh, I would just be listening. I'd be off in the wings somewhere. I think it was changing or something at the time. I mm-hmm. can't remember, but um, his his voice singing those beautiful words mm-hmm. just filled me with um, mm-hmm. awe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's Phil's last name? Now I need to know. Oh, uh, Look, I have him on Facebook. Philip Cook. Yeah, Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip Cook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a wonderful, awesome. Um, he, he, he doubled as uh, the judge in, in Merry Wives, so a very funny counterpart to his wonderful Padre. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I know Philip Cook. 
there you go. Yeah, you may, you may. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I do love to eat just Dawson Like there's a part of me that does like this song. However, I find sometimes it's performed a little bit too slowly. Like it's like, can we pick up the tempo a little bit with this? Like uh, there's a number of recordings that are like really slow and it's like, do we slow this song down a bit? Like let's, like if you listen to the original version, it is kind of very, it, it does have a bit of a gallop to it too. It doesn't feel so slow, but more modern revivals have slowed it down. And I'm like, we don't need to slow this song down, just speed up a little bit. And on top of that, this song almost feels a bit like a sledgehammer approach where it's like to the audiences, did you get the message of what we're trying to tell you? Um, the story's about where I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the show's done such a great job of subtly telling you the story. And then you have this one song by the Padre, which is like gorgeous. But it's like, did you get it? Did you did, did do you understand what we're talking about here? So that's the one somewhere I'm like, it's a little bit heavy-handed. And on top of that, it's followed by the impossible dream. So you have two songs back to back that are very similar to each other, talking about the similar kind of themes and journeys and dreams. And it's well, like I can see that. Can yeah. See that. But yeah, I, love, so, I love the chord progressions at the end. Yes. The way, you know, da, 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 you know, it goes on. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's gorgeous. I mean, you're right. When you do have a really good tenor doing it, it just flies. It, it, it just lilts on the wind almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it, can, it has a very prayer-like quality to it. So there, there we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's your... Autumn, oh, my number two? My number two is Little Bird, Little Bird. Oh, that's my number three. Liked little Ooh. bird, little bird, and I like it because this song is deceptive. It's it's a gorgeous song. Once again, it's on the guitar. It's very lilting, and when you're listening to it in the soundtrack, you don't get the menace of what, of what the song is. It's not till an audience sees it on stage. Like my dad had heard the, the stage recording, and he did. He had no idea about little bird. Like he like he would hum it in the kitchen while he was cooking dinner one like one, one and i had to stop and go you do know what the song is really doing here it's it's it, it, it's the muleteers it's the bad guys like this is their taunting song like they're they're basically playing cat and mouse with aldonza and she's she's really like this little bird to them and they are cats that are about to pounce yeah, i didn't know whether put, i didn't know whether to put that song on my mm-hmm. like list or leave it list mm-hmm. because of that yeah because it, whenever uh, you know, whenever it's mm-hmm. reprised during the abduction, it's mm-hmm. devastating. 
totally devastating and and that's what i liked about it is when it comes back later on mm-hmm. because the first version is very melodic it has the guitar it floats but then when they bring it back the orchestrations have changed it's now brass yeah. timpani and it's not sunk pretty anymore it's almost yelled at her like it's almost it becomes spiteful and it's and it's it's so it's almost like how in west side story with anita in act one you have america which is this upbeat um, debate song that everybody kind of gets into, but then it comes back in Act Two as a mocking song to her as the Jets are attempting to rape her. And audiences are now kind of being thrown in the face of like, oh, you like this song so much? Well, now we're going to twist this song on you. And now and, and we're going to sour the taste of what this song is because, what, because what's going to happen to Anita? And it's the same thing with Aldonza. Like this song on the guitar, it also, it also, also the first version was like a tightrope walk for Aldonza. Like, because uh, the guitar is is like a, on a string, so you get that kind of tightrope walk of this a bird on a wire. Yes, exactly. And she and you got the cats like right underneath her the whole time, being like, "Fall, fall, we're gonna catch you." And it's like, oh, it's just so it's just it's such a deceptively interesting song that audiences can very easily get misled on what this song is if they're just listening to it on its own. It's only until it's only it's only when you actually get to see the production that you go oh, this is what this song really is. So that's why it's my number two. It's it's interesting because it's the performance of misogyny. Mm-hmm. Right? You get mm-hmm. this wooing first, little bird, little bird, right? In the cinnamon tree, little bird, little bird. Come play with us, little mm-hmm. bird. Mm-hmm. And then it's when they lose their power to her, mm-hmm. how, uh, how aggressive it can become. Yeah, very scary. Yeah, and I, I mean, I still remember you doing this scene and how, at the start, it was it, it was just you walking the stage, Janet, and then as the song progresses, the men just continually got closer and closer around that well with you, and you and you had that wonderful stage combat where I think you threw Ari Weinberg like almost into the well. Uh, but, it, it, but, it, but once again, it was that delicateness, and then Sophia Loren in the in the movie version of this scene is great because once again. She has, because she's balancing the buckets of water. So she's also doing a bit of a tightrope. Yeah. That's literal tightrope walk. Scene, isn't it? I, I really oh. excellently done. It is. It's, 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 a, it's a scene that can really hit home if audiences get it just right. So yes, Little Bird was my number two, was your number three. So Autumn, what was your number two? Uh, we have number one. my number one. Which is what? Aldonza. Can't you see what your gentle insanities do to me? Rob me of anger and give me despair. Clothes and abuse I can't take and give back again. Tenderness I cannot bear. 
That's my number three. Really? Yeah. yeah. Because it's a soliloquy song. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like for me, it's it's this person, like it's the muck and mire mm-hmm. of her existence. Mm-hmm. I think she wants so badly to be Dulcinea, to have that, right? Mm-hmm. But her reality dictates otherwise. So it's mm-hmm. that struggle between these, the, the want and the, mm-hmm. the reality. It's mm-hmm. just devastating. It's mm-hmm. devastating. And it's kind of like, for me, it's it's kind of like Billy Bigelow, the the his soliloquy, mm-hmm. and that that the, the the opposites, like running back and forth. It's like a good soliloquy in Shakespeare. Yeah, it's so good. It's mm-hmm. so good that underbelly of mm-hmm. that realism that she's trying not to have, but it's there. It's ever yeah. present. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's great. It's an excavating song. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had it on my list too, but I, I think I swapped it out somewhere along the, along the way for, for Little Bird. But yeah, it's a, it's a kick-ass song. Yeah, and to be able to perform it must have been like a, just an incredible gift. Mm-hmm. Yes, but as I said, really challenging, you know, looking at where she comes from before she runs on stage. Uh, it's It's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough not to let your emotions take mm-hmm. over because then it'll go right to your throat and you can't get mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. yeah, That's what I find for a lot of those parts. You have to keep a, a very fine line between getting emotionally involved in what the character is, has experienced mm-hmm. so that your voice can actually mm-hmm. get out. Mm-hmm. with yeah. some kind of decorum you know mm-hmm. otherwise it's just a screech yeah no it's but it's so interesting that you know Kyote uh, wants the armor and everything to, nightly and yet she's the one that wears the armor mm-hmm. like she is so armored mm-hmm. and that that hard shell right mm-hmm. uh is so interesting to me and how it how it he he idolizes the armor and she just wants to tear hers off and be this soft human this and be in love be loved mm-hmm. like what is that uh to her mm-hmm. who is you know basically a piece of flesh to many men mm-hmm. you know yeah. um well that's what's so beautiful about what he gives her in i believe that he gives her the power to be Dulcinea and to mm-hmm. change who she is. Mm-hmm. So she, he sees her as something that she isn't, but he tells mm-hmm. her over and over again, this is who you are. This is, you're my lady. Mm-hmm. You deserve this. You deserve the other. Um, I'm going to fight for you and treat you well. And she, by the end of the play, she does believe it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She absolutely does what she changes her name. She she says, I am Dulcinea. Mm -hmm. And she takes that with her for the rest of her life. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that kind of redemption, that possibility to be something other, right? Exactly. It's a life lesson for everybody. Mm -hmm. Treat people Mm -hmm. the way you want them to be. Give give them the gift of of, uh, being a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. and a kind person you are a kind person no i'm a criminal no you're a kind person mm-hmm. you're a good person and if you tell them that enough 
maybe they'll believe it and turn themselves around. And I think mm -hmm. that is what what this play is about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the fact it's set in a prison with all these people at the start of the play are willing to kind of murder and steal from Quixote and Sancho, but then by the end, they're standing up. And the first person to stand up and start the finale is this prisoner who played Aldonza, who, who throughout the first part of the opening prison scene is hiding in the shadows. Yeah, I, 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 you, you almost miss her throughout the first bit until Quixote casts her as Aldonza, and then she stands and becomes part but for the first bit you totally don't even all you, you, you I, I i remember watching the show for the first time the way scott had staged it you almost hid by the well but you were so still and just watched that i totally missed you until you rose up and became all done i was like oh yeah there's janet like that's where she was hiding this whole time even though you were sorry like, like even though you were center stage Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, this was my number three, because as Otto said, like, for me, it's the conflict. And it's the heart wrenching one for the audience, who like Quixote have started to buy into this idealism. You've seen you, you've kind of gone on the Quixote journey. And, and, and the abduction scene terrifies you. But then you're right back to Quixote going on his adventure again. And it's really when Aldonza shows up going saying, uh, lives or liars, murderers, thieves, coming on battered and bruised with stage makeup and looking really destroyed. And that's when it's really the bubble burst for the audience and, and they go, oh, this is the world. And this is where the creative team really hit the nail on the head of this ideological battle that they really wanted to infuse. This is the moment of the show where it happens because you can parallel this moment, this argument through so much of the history. I mean, you could see this moment happening during the civil rights of the 60s where you have some uh, where, where, where you have a black man or woman go into somebody like an rfk who's preaching idealism and championing the change but yet they're going what are you doing like what good is the sky you've shown me the sky to a creature who who will do no better than crawl you've dangled the carrot in front of me but i'm never going to get it because society has willed it to be different there's not enough people like quixote in society who will change the world to let me get to this carrot, to let me get to the sky. So I'm, all, I'm only ever gonna have hope and crawl for the mo for, uh, uh, and, and that's the tragedy of this moment is Quixote's fighting her saying, you will still and always will be my Dulcinea. And, that, and the fact you built this scream at the end, like Janet, you were saying like, it's, it's the scream of the throat, right? Like by the end where she screams that final no and collapses in tears at the end, because she's just, so torn between the realism and, and the idealism she's conflicting in the song and she's talking about her history of being spawned in a dung heap by a mother who left me there hoping i would die and then she said and then she turns on on to Quixote, going like the guys who rape me they're awful but you're even worse because you gave me hope in a in a place where i don't have hope and you're and, and you've taunted me with it Take the clouds from your eyes and see me as I really am. You have shown me the sky, but what good is the sky to a creature who never do better than crawl? Of all the cruel bastards who badgered and battered me, you are the cruelest of all. Like, and it's so gut-wrenching. It, it, it is heartbreaking. It is, it, and it's the moment that Camelot misses. 
Camelot never gets, because they kind of rush the ending with Guinevere, and we never get this kind of Aldonza moment with Arthur where he should have a moment like this where he sings about the it, destruction it, of Camelot, it, it, but you don't get it. This is, this is why this is better than Camelot, in my opinion. But this is also different because Camelot, everyone's coming from a place of privilege. True. Right? You don't, you don't get the class divide. You don't get that struggle, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, Aldonzo, well, the reality is, like, what are her choices? What are mm -hmm. her choices in mm -hmm. Spain during that time? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. if you were to set it during the civil rights for, you know, a black woman, what would her choices be? Mm -hmm. Like, there yeah. are things that are dictated for us. That's what I mean, like, the idea of societal, um, like, not settling for societal labels mm -hmm. of, Mm -hmm. who we should be and how we should be in the world that's how mm -hmm. we're going to create change by dismantling those but yeah not enough people want to dismantle it so you're always going to have people who will dream right yeah, the impossible dream mm -hmm. so yeah there we go all right let's get into songs we either skip oh, or man, i haven't cut. done my number three well i thought you did do your number three or no sorry what was your number three then uh the, the i am my don quixote My destiny calls and I go And the wild winds of fortune Will carry me onward Oh, whithersoever they blow Whithersoever they blow Onward to glory I go The setup, ah. the, the building of the world that was my number four. I, 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 that was so close to making those, but Little Bird beat it onto the list. I just, I, I love that it's storytelling, right? It's mm -hmm. like, we'll take on this role and we will mm -hmm. talk about it and you will all be players. And mm -hmm. it's, it's very Shakespearean. God forsaken place together, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's very kind of like Ofer Amuse of Fire, that opening monologue <laughs> from Henry V. It's that same type of. Yeah. Like, I, 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 within this great wooden O, we will create France and the battlefields that you're going to join in on. And Quixote is the same way of <coughs> like. It's very meta. It's mm -hmm. very meta, but um, I I love it. And I think more, it's kind of like what Jesus Christ Superstar aimed to be in the movie version with the like scaffolding. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> um, that didn't work so well. But it this it, here it really works, right? It's a great opening number. Like gonna, it's a perfect way to kick off a show. We're gonna tell the story. We're mm -hmm. gonna go into the story. Mm -hmm. uh, I just I love it. Mm -hmm. It's a great it's a great kickoff, and it's a great exposition song too. It's like, a call it, to action, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. It's a perfect way to start a trial, or like or like mount a defense. Uh, well, it's also a perfect way to. Um, get people on board through story mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. share a story, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. People like story. People like yes. having a story told to them. So they will buy into your argument more if you can tell it in a story. Yeah. Because they're invited into the process rather than yeah. someone going, this is the way it is. Right. Yeah. Exactly. First to that. Mm -hmm. So Janet, what was on your list? The songs we either skip or would cut, or did you even have any on that list? Um, well, you know, I could do without the golden helmet of Mumbrino. 
<laughs> I mean, not yeah. that I hate it, but I, you know, I could take a pass. How about you? I agree with you, Janet, about uh, the Golden Helmet of Mambrino. It's definitely not one of my favorite songs. And I think it's because uh, this moment isn't ever captured properly. I mean, yes, it's great that Don Quixote is off trying to change the world, make it a better place. But at the same time, you now have a man who, for better or worse, we can say he's not mentally well. Uh, he's living in, in another reality. And, now, and now he's got a sword. He's brandishing a sword. And all of a sudden he steals this man's shaving basin and yet it's played for comedy so i think that's one of the reasons why while this song is fun uh it's got a great tune to it the it's it, it misses the mark of some of the dangerous reality that quixote is surrounded by where people should be scared of this guy who currently just brandished a very mangled sword but still a sword at this other man saying give me your your property so I think that's one of the reasons why I've never fully gotten into it. Uh, I mean, the song before Golden Helmet, is the, which is the barber song. Oh, I am a little barber and I go by merry way. With my razor and my leeches, I can always earn my pay. Though your chin is smooth as satin, you will need me soon, I know. For the Lord protects his barbers and he makes the stubble grow. That's the one that I would skip a lot of the time because it's like, eh, we don't really need to introduce yeah. the barber this way. He just needs to show up and get give the damn helmet. Because like, that's the like- I, I Yeah, don't same, same thing. I mean, that, yeah. I kind of put those together. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It, it's a series of events that maybe aren't necessary. I mean, I guess I guess, I guess, because they're a moment from the book that they're like, we got to get that in there somehow. But like, it doesn't add much. It just kind of reinforces that Quixote sees the world one way and the barber and- Sancho and everybody else see it the other way. That I mean, they it's just a shaving base. They just yeah. needed to get him something to sing. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's a fun, jaunty little tune, but it's like eh, we didn't need to introduce the character. I, I, like, like if, if it's in the show, sure. But like, if I'm listening to an album of, of this show, I'll skip it. It's like okay, move along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I agree. Barber, the, the barber song slash golden helmet of Membrino. They can go. Um, one of mine is the Moorish dance. You see, a young innocent approaching. <laughs> Charming, utterly charming. But she's a trollop, and he, he's nothing but her. Have done with such foul suspicions. Does not understand their language? These two are brother and sister, offspring of the noble African lord, Sidi Ben Mali. Brother and sister? Uh, which, heavily racist. In the libretto, they are called Moor, uh, the Moorish people, or gypsies, as, as Sancho calls them. So... Not great the way to pick them as people who don't speak um, uh, English very well. They're also portrayed as crafty thieves who mislead Quixote and steal all his possessions and leave him destitute. So it's one of the it's an, it's another one of those adventures where it's like we don't need it. Like our production with Scott, that he cut this moment, um, and I mean the film version cut it too. So it's it's so it's not and in a more modern revivals have cut it as well. Like I know the Brian Stokes Mitchell version 
cut it. So like some things just aren't, aren't appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Like this no. is one of those things where it's like, we don't need this anymore. We just can do without this segment. And it's so quick. And it's like, this is a long show too. Like, like this is not a, what a quick show. Like this, uh, this show's usually done without any intermission. So audiences have to sit for almost hour and a half, two hours in the, in the theater. Then they need a pee break or they're trying to get out by the end. The more chance it can go. It's not a necessity to the story. It's there. It's can go. But yeah, yeah, that, that those are kind of my three. Barber, Dulcinea, because it's a little bit too slow and a little bit sledgehammery, and Moorish Dance. Uh, did you have any others, Janet? Um, well, I really like him. I like him. I really like him. Tear out my fingernails one by one. I like him. I don't have a very good reason. Since I've been with him, coconuts have been in season. But there's nothing I can do. Chop me up for onions too. Still I'll yell to the sky, though I can't tell you why that I like him. Now mm. that one for me, I couldn't decide if it was uh, one of the top three or one of the bottom three again. <laughs> and But I think it's in the bottom because it's not that interesting musically for me compared to mm. some of the other songs. Yeah. But I do like the fact that he he just has a connection. Sancho has a connection with Quixote, and he doesn't try to judge it. He just mm. says, I just like him. I'm mm. going to follow him because I think he's a good guy. Yeah. So that is why <laughs> I didn't know which, which category to mm -hmm. put it in. But musically, I think I could just pass it. Well, musically, there's not much to it. It's a really kind of talk song. Like It's, it's, it's very yeah. kind of Rex, Harrison, Rex Harrison style of, you can take the music out and just have it as a monologue and look, cut a few of the verses and it works. Hmm? Look who it's written for. It's written for the sidekick. This guy yes. follows along who's either there or not there, depending yeah. on what Quixote needs. Yeah. I like him. I right? like him. I really like him. Pull out my fingernails one by one. I like him. Like it's very simple melodically. Like it's but not, it's not a challenge. Character, right? Yes. Yeah. Like he's, yeah, 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 right. he's, yeah, yeah. Well, simple, I, I think simple in a certain way. Simple and certain, but he also is a very complex character in the way that he is willing to fight and just be with Don Quixote. Like he's willing to leave his wife and his family and just hit the road. Because he gives him purpose. Yeah. He gives him, he is, uh, Sancho is kind of the Pierrot of the piece, mm -hmm. the person wanting a life extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Right to become mm -hmm. the extraordinary rather than the ordinary you know, every day that he's living. Mm -hmm. So you know the mm -hmm. he's the sidekick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I like musically no it's not, it's not yeah da da but yeah. Sancho as a character is not really the da da either yeah. right mm -hmm. that's that's the yeah. Quixote yeah. needs a good foil, right? Yes, he does. And I mean, and I mean, our our, our Sancho Sheldon was absolutely 
a joy. He was fantastic with his comedic timing on this song. He 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 was great. He also was a great Bartoff uh, in, in Mary Wives too. That <laughs> brought me to tears mm. in in Man of La Mancha mm-hmm. in the death scene. Yeah, like he yeah. really, I could hardly even look at it. Yeah, yeah. It's that duty to something larger, right? That mm-hmm. that makes him such an interesting character. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. every person that went to go fight in the world wars, like there was mm-hmm. a sense of duty, this, this pride, this and doing something bigger than myself mm-hmm. that I was born into, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what makes him interesting. Yeah, for sure. Autumn, was there any song that made your cut list? I mean, I'm kind of indifferent. The whole, the whole, this is going to sound bad, but it's, it's I'm indifferent. <laughs> For me, it, it's the whole thing. Like, this mm-hmm. is one of those musicals that you need the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I mean, the Moorish dance was indicative of the time and place, mm-hmm. right? That was something uh, the Moors were prolific in Spain at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you you can do it. I think you just need to handle it delicately. Like they, the the Moors and the Gypsies uh, traveled, like the Irish tinkers, mm-hmm. right? They did things out of necessity and survival, mm-hmm. kind of like Fagin, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have to approach that with great care, so mm-hmm. as it doesn't get misconstrued, right? Mm-hmm. But it mm-hmm. is. It is part of that world if you were setting it in that world that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, uh, we just, I don't think we need to erase history mm-hmm. to talk about it. Yeah. But you know that about me. I think I we, know. <laughs> we can't erase things just because mm-hmm. they make us uncomfortable. We yeah. need to go through them to, and confront, confront mm-hmm. the dis-ease Mm-hmm. and um, figure out why it happened and how not to let it happen for the future. Mm-hmm. Fair. Fair. Yeah. Janet, it was, was, was there any other song or, or, or is that it for your cut I list? I think I did my, oh, did I have another one? Um, yeah. No, I think that's it for my, for my that's section. That's it? Yeah. All right. Well, that was it for my list. So let's get into our final thoughts. Does this musical still have a place today in our musical theater culture? And should it be revived? Janet, I'll let you start. Would you want to come back and play Aldonza again? I should be so lucky, of course. <laughs> yeah. I have so many, I have so many wonderful ideas about what I didn't do last time that I would do this time. Um, I, I could even tell, I can, I can even tell you what it is. It's in the, in the finale scene. Um, you know, Aldonza, comes in and, and rephrases to dream the impossible dream and feeds him, feeds him those words. Mm-hmm. And if I were to do it again, I would let my emotions take over. Mm. You know, I think, I think I was holding myself back so fiercely because I wanted the music to be heard and the tune mm-hmm. and I wanted, I wanted it to, to be there. But honestly, I don't think I would do that next time. I think I would, mm-hmm. I would let, I would let the emotion fill me more. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, if it, if the whole musicality went to hell in a handbasket, it would be okay. That's okay. We know, yeah. we, we yeah. know the tune by now. Yeah, exactly. 
So mm-hmm. I think that's what um, what I wish I had done in mm-hmm. retrospect. So yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And and of course it's relevant. Mm-hmm. The whole musical, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. Autumn, would you want to revive this? Would you want to direct it? With Janet. <laughs> With Janet, yeah. <laughs> that would be so much fun. Right? Or Caddy, we're coming to you. I think I think I'd I if I were yes, I think it's completely relevant. I think we mm-hmm. you know, we're in a we're in a state right now where the world is starting to shift. Mm-hmm. Um but we're doing it through anger mm-hmm. and reactivity. And I'm wondering what would happen if we did it through uh the idealization rather than reactivity. I think we need more hope. So I think, you know, doing a really pared down version of this would be so good to do right now to make people stop, think. I think it begs us to stop, think, and create genuine response rather than just the state of reacting to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I hope that's what it does. Yeah. And maybe, you know, building a, a container around the container of the musical <laughs> that is um that is like that, that shares that thought. I just I think I think it's timely. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I do think it's timely. I think it's a beautiful piece and I think it is a good it's a great book. Mm-hmm. It's a great Cervantes great book which I haven't read but now I'm going to mm-hmm. this summer um, <laughs> but also what Wasserman brought and his own experience of displacement and that's that drive forward and hope and you know how we shouldn't settle yeah we shouldn't settle uh for the names that that people call us that how society deems we should be in the world. Mm-hmm. Piss on society. Mm-hmm. Who cares? I say that to the kids all the time. I, they're like, well, no one will like me if I do that. I'll say, who cares? It's you. You are being you. And that is the best thing you can be in the world. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to sell yourself out for what other people want of you? Mm-hmm. I'm a rebel that way. Forget you are. It. Well, like, ah, don't get me started on this. I know, I know. It's a bigger rabbit hole that we're not going to go down. But I mean, I have, I agree with both of you. I mean, this is a timeless and timely musical all at the same time. So you, you can, you can revive it at any point because the, 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 the collide and battle of idealism versus realism never stops. As we talked about in Camelot. There, it's this continual fight for the Camelot, for the ideal, for the impossible dream. That's what we, as a society, we're always, or at least people in certain people's society are always fighting for. Maybe not the entire society, but there are people in it who are always challenging the system and always striving for that weary, well, beaten, like, dream. It's it's amazing to me that those people are always considered mad. Yes, Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and I mean, and that's like one of my notes is like, I would love to see a version of this where you have Joe Biden play Don Quixote because with his current message of unity and hey, we can work together with the other side and everybody's going, you're a crazy old man and not coming in the middle. And you have Joe Biden who's sitting in the middle going, I am Don Quixote. I 
I, I believe we can be idealistic. I believe we can reach for that unity that we seem to have lost. And the world is going, no. And he's there fighting his, like, fighting for it. So I think you could do a really interesting production if you want to bring it to a modern, or you could do it with like a Bobby Kennedy in, late, in, in, in the late sixties before he dies. Like there's so many ways you can- the Camelot, right? It goes yeah. this, the dreamers and to the mm. dreamers ever win. Yeah. We gotta let the dreamers win sometimes. Sometimes it'd be nice if they did. So thank you all so much for listening, Janet. Thank you for coming on and doing this with us. Like, oh, thank you both. It's been really, really fun. It's been you're gonna have happy. to come back. I know, especially yeah. when you Annie get your gun. You're gonna have to come back for that one. Now that one, I would like that. Yeah, like Phantom. We'll Phantom, have to yep. do Mikado at some point too. Yes, we'll into interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Mikado. Oh, Blood Brothers. That's one of Sarah's. And Autumn's favorites that you were in Blood Brothers. Love Blood, Blood Brothers. Me too. So you got, got, got to come back for Blood Brothers. And I'm sure there's many more we'll find along the way for you to come back for. Because we're just a, a wealth of... Oh, if you'll have me, I'll be there. Done. Done, done, and done. Uh, so yeah, wonderful. Uh, Jane, where, but in the meantime, where can people find and follow you and your company? Uh, ShaggyPopProductions.ca mm-hmm. Perfect. Awesome. We have a lot on the on the on the roster right now because of course we're in the COVID, but yeah. <laughs> we'll be back at it soon. Do it. it. Do it. Does Metapause the musical have like a, a cast album that people can buy and like listen to in the meantime? Yep. Awesome. Um, okay. Yep. Quick uh wonderful shout out to our theme music composer, Mr. Brody Weld, for his continual contributions. Uh, to the to this show so thank you Brody go out and listen to his music his latest albums are always coming out on Apple Music Bandcamp Spotify all the listening platforms listen to this guy he is continually producing rap singles never stops he's a dad he's a working um, uh, engineer draftsman like of all things like he like he also is a gardener in his spare time like he just doesn't stop so go ahead and show him some love um autumn where can people find and follow you and your companies my companies thank you mackenzie mm-hmm. that was so nice of you mm-hmm. well i have my education and community engage practice at littlewood smith however i have just started a new not-for-profit professional theater company in muskoka called timber beast productions love it and instagram timber beast Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping to produce something this summer, uh, small, very small, very mm-hmm. intimate, uh, because who knows what's going to happen. But uh, stay tuned, Timber Beast, or you can follow me at Autumn DM Smith at all the, all the places. I'm there. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can find, follow me at Mackenzie Horner on all social media platforms. You can follow my antics with Cup of Hemlock at the Cup of Hemlock. Uh, YouTube uh, page where we are just done a review of uh, uh, Christopher Plummer's production of Caesar and Cleopatra. And, and we also just did a two part review of the Les Mis concerts. So you can check all that good stuff. Oh, we also just did a review of Showboat too. Yes, so, with uh, Alicia Plummer. Yes, Alicia Plummer came on. Elena Hibbert was on that one. So yeah, it's a great, 
well, it was a great review that brought many interesting conversations about a musical that gets a lot of heat I'm sure. uh, in, in modern days. So very interesting there. You can also follow us, uh, uh, the podcast at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Before the Downbeat. Uh, you also can follow our Patreon page where if you donate uh, to a certain tier once a month, Autumn and I will give you either a movie musical commentary where maybe we will watch the Sophia Loren, Man of La Mancha, Peter O'Toole film. We also do top 10 lists. Maybe we'll do top 10 novels that should be turned into a musical. Uh, we also do uh, theater news reviews. So anything that's going on in the world of theater, we'll give you a rundown on our thoughts on that. So yeah, tune into our Patreon where we got a lot of uh, you know other Matt, if if people donate a, a grand sum, we'll even have a in like a Zoom conversation with yes about a musical. Agreed, I'm all for that. You also can tune into our Patreon for deleted scenes because I'm sure you want to hear some of the fun stories and things like that that get cut due to time. So there's all types of good stuff there. Yes, so mm-hmm. many. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, thank you everybody, and remember to keep reaching for that impossible dream, that unreachable star. And until next time, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, have a great rest of your week, and stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.